I don't mean to name drop, but I got an email from Seth Godin the other day. Seth is a thought leader in the world of business and marketing. He's a New York Times bestselling author many times over, and I had sent him a quick email asking about his greatest struggle as a highly productive, creative entrepreneur. I was hoping for some kind of generous, pulling the veil back kind of reply, some kind of short, quotable wisdom with which to encourage you. What I got instead was three words. This is what he wrote. I am swamped. That's it? Three words? Had Seth Godin just blown me off? I mean, he's not known for being loquacious, but three words? I don't want to make it sound like he would know me from Adam, but in a previous email, <laughs> equally short now that I think about it, he had told me to keep making magic. Seth Godin told me to keep making magic. Did that mean he thought I was already making magic? Was this the start of the bromance I had always hoped for? But this one felt dismissive. I'm swamped? It hurt deep, Seth. The bromance, it seemed, was over. Then I realized he had given me exactly what I had asked for. It was right there. That was his struggle. He wasn't blowing me off. He was being honest. The other thing I had asked was, how do you deal with that struggle on a day-to-day -day basis? And it seems he had answered that too. He said no. Saying no more than you say yes is one of the secrets to being creative and productive. It's not sexy. Yes is sexy. Yes is generous. And yet many of us are yesing our way into distraction, exhaustion, and the kind of creative flow that's more like a trickle. I'm David Dushiman. This is episode 14 of A Beautiful Anarchy. Let's talk about it. I've talked about being swamped before and the ways in which we get overwhelmed. In episode two, I compared the flood of requests and distractions, like the email Seth got from me, to a great wave that hovers over us, keeping us tending to all the little things in hopes that the boat doesn't fill with water and capsize, all while keeping us from getting the more important work done. It's a very real threat, and as you do more and more of the work that is truly you, and you begin to get in the flow and find whatever measure of success you're seeking, it gets worse, not better. I don't really want to rehash the great wave metaphor or the need to say no. I want to look at the other side of that, the need to say yes to your best work, the work that Cal Newport in his book Deep Work calls, well, deep work. <laughs> I like to think of it as core work, the stuff that is closest to me the work that all the other stuff supports. If you're not familiar with Cal Newport, I suggest you look him up. He's an important voice to people like us who create and have important work we need to be doing. At first glance, he's also a bit of an unlikely voice to the creative world. His author pick shows an unsmiling, unassuming guy, someone who's probably good at math and wears chinos. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's just clearly not the, hey, look at me, artsy kind of guy. He doesn't look like the creative type. In fact, neither does his resume. He's a computer science professor at Georgetown University in Washington. But creativity is not the exclusive domain of the arts. And reading Newport, it's really clear that he gets people like us. After writing a couple books specifically for college students about being better college students, he wrote a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You with the provocative subtitle Why Following Your Passion is Bad Advice. Based on that subtitle alone, I was prepared to hate the book and dismiss the author. 
But I finished it with the conviction that this was a guy worth listening to, a guy who had his hands as much in the real world as in the world of ideas. So when Deep Work came out, I bought it the moment I read the subtitle, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. Now, this isn't a book review, but I think the idea that we all have core work, the most important work, without which all the other stuff doesn't really matter, is critical. Actually, the idea itself isn't so much critical as our willingness to say yes to that work and do whatever it takes to protect it. Most of us do not do this well. We create our work in the margins. We do it in whatever time is left over. Newport argues, and I'm right there beside him on this, that we need to carve out blocks of time to do that deep work. Big chunks of undistracted time. I have found this to be true over 25 years of day in and day out creativity. So I want to give you three ways that you might do this without the need to live the life of a hermit. Three different kinds of blocks of time, some version of which will transform your creative life. The first is a daily buffer that's 30 to 60 minutes long. Get up a little earlier, do it with your morning coffee, but leave the phone in the other room or put it in your bag with the ringer off. Sit somewhere quiet and analog. Read a poem, flip through an old journal or write in your current one. Make a list of the next 10 projects you'd like to do or the next three books you want to write or the next five steps you need to take to get the current work done. Read a book. This is ideation time. It's the time you need to feed your brain ideas and ruminate on them without other distractions. It's time to wonder, to probe deeper questions, and to recalibrate the parts of you that are probably too busy the rest of the day to hold one coherent thought for very long. This is not the time for calendars and emails and social media, the little bits and pieces. It is time to take stock of the raw materials that you will use in your deep work and to let your muse breathe a little. The second block is a weekly buffer that's three to four hours long, or more if you can pull it off. One block each week when you can do the stuff that is most meaningful to you. Four hours in the studio to paint, to throw a pot, to get out there with your camera, to do your work. The rules are the same as your daily time. No digital distractions, no answering the phone, the door gets closed, the kids stay out. It is just you and the muse. You need this chunk of time. You need the time to quiet down for the creative flow to ramp up. And once there, you need a meaningful chunk of time to use that flow and see where it leads. Anyone who regularly experiences that flow knows how fast the time can go. So don't sabotage yourself with one hour blocks and hope that's enough. It might be. You might be the exception, but I would bet against it. And if you can do good work in an hour, Imagine what you'll be able to do in four. Every week, no exceptions. This is sacred time for you and the muse to get in the ring and hash things out. The third is a yearly block that is measured in days, not hours. Only you can know what is possible, but imagine what you might get done in a four-day long weekend away from everyone and everything. Imagine what you would get done with a whole week. A so-called think week has become a necessary part of the creative lives of people like Bill Gates, who twice a year takes one week in seclusion to do undistracted thinking and ideation. Steve Jobs took think weeks. So does Mark Zuckerberg. Seclusion and longer blocks of time aren't a new idea. Productive and creative people have been doing this for centuries. The keys are solitude and a freedom from distraction. Days to think and work and be free from the little million draws on our attention. 
Imagine the freedom you could find by going somewhere beyond the signal, in a place where the phone doesn't ping, and you're not always one email away from every person that wants a piece of you. For some of you, that's terrifying, but there must be a part of you that acknowledges how needful that time is, how good it would feel to be alone with your muse for a little while, to get some deeper work done, to start that novel, to write the songs, to be in the studio for a few days of work and play and nothing else. This time is time to move forward, to gain momentum, not just maintenance, which is what all the smaller stuff is. Think weeks are not a vacation. They are a self-directed week of ideation and recalibration and getting shit done. For them to work, I think you probably need some structure. My own times like this allow me eight hours of sleep and the rest of the time is carved into two to three hour blocks. I read a couple books in some of those blocks. I plan and write lists and brainstorm in others. And I sit and write in others of those blocks. And in the breaks, you could go for a walk, take a swim, make a lunch. Just don't pick up the phone to check in with the world all the time. If you must do that, do it at dinner or the end of the day so it doesn't distract you. You can do this collaboratively, too. Corwin and I get together for a monthly two-day retreat we've been doing for over 12 years. Corwin is, alternately, my manager, assistant, producer, travel partner, business collaborator, and friend. For years, we've been meeting regularly for a block of time that we've called the Think and Drink. The idea at first was that we would wander town for two days, drink beer at different pubs and restaurants, and come up with ideas, pitching them to each other, turning them on their heads, and making a lot of scribbles in our notebooks between pints of beer. Over the years, the drinking has slowed down, replaced instead by doing. Now we alternate between ideation for a couple hours and putting those ideas into action, reworking, rewriting, changing what needs to be changed. These two to three day blocks are by far the most productive times over the year. They are put on the calendar and they do not get changed. When I was hospitalized eight years ago after shattering both my feet in Italy, we just kept at it. Corwin would fly four hours to work with me for three days at my family home in Ontario, then fly back to the West Coast every month. We've done it in the remotest parts of Kenya, in Italy, the American Southwest, on planes and on boats, in five-star hotels and in tents. Almost nothing is allowed to get in the way. It's that productive. When I think about my deep work efforts in business, they follow the same pattern I'm suggesting for other creative deep work. Dedicated blocks set aside in small, medium, and larger chunks of time that are zealously protected. However you do these things, and whether you do them at all is, of course, up to you. What is certain is that all of us can be doing better, deeper work if we do more than acknowledge that we're swamped and we set time aside to do more than just bail the boat to keep us from sinking. Put it on the calendar. Move things around in order to do so. Negotiate with your partner. Talk to the kids. Telling them mom needs time to be her best self and do her best work only teaches them to do the same. Having a dad that values his time and his work and models that for them isn't taking away from the kids. It's giving them the gift of a father who is less distracted and firing more often on all cylinders. It teaches the people in our lives that legacy matters to us. That the work of our hands and our hearts is not a frivolous side hustle, but an important part of who we are. We are all swamped. You're not alone in this. But you alone are the only one who will guard and protect your core work. Seth Godin taking time to answer my email in depth would have gotten me closer to me doing my work, but it would not have got him closer to doing his. Seth is responsible for his core work, not mine. And I respect Seth now more than ever. 
And I've also been reminded that saying yes to my core work necessarily and often means saying no to the demands of others as good as they may be. You must protect that core work and the time needed in which to do it. It's up to us. The world isn't going to give you a break and stop sending emails. Facebook isn't going to let up in terms of its demands on your time. If anything, it will only ramp up your addiction. It's up to you and it's not going to happen by accident or spontaneously. Yes, be generous with your time. Be spontaneous, but know that we all need time focused and alone in blocks to do our best work. And we've all got to create that time and guard it jealously. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're enjoying A Beautiful Anarchy, I would be so grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes or wherever you choose to listen. If you've got comments or questions, I'd love to hear them. You can get in touch by sending an email to talkback at abeautifulanarchy.com. I publish A Beautiful Anarchy three weeks out of four, but you can get your fix on those fourth weeks by subscribing to On The Make, a monthly kick in the creative pants sent straight to your inbox. You can subscribe by going to abeautifulanarchy.com, scrolling to the bottom of the page, and telling me where to send it. I will also send you a copy of my short ebook, Escape Your Creative Rut, Five Ways to Get Your Groove Back. And every month, I'll draw a name of one subscriber to whom I'll send a signed copy of my book, A Beautiful Anarchy. Thank you so much for being part of this. Until next time, go make something beautiful. Beautiful. 